guys hear that? You guys can hear me now, right? No. I can't hear you anymore. Let me know if you guys hear this. Can you guys still hear me? Can still? you hear? You guys can hear me now, right? No. Can you hear me? Yeah. Quit better jobs than this. Ghostbusters, what do you want? So if you don't know, Tim, I met James under a really, I have an interesting story, James and I, when we met. Do you want to hear it? Let's hear it. Sure. I met James when my wife and I were backup dancers for Weird Al Yankovic. And James was there and he coached us through the whole procedure because James, you've been a backup dancer for Weird Al Yankovic several times now, haven't you? No way. Uh, way more than I'd like for, to admit, but yeah. For how many years? I would have to say probably about six or seven now. Oh, really? So I've I've probably seen you back there then. I just didn't know it. I haven't been to any concerts in the last five years, but previous to that, we went to all of them well, in Calgary anyway. If you uh, attended one where there were Star Wars themed characters before 2019 you probably would have seen james you were in the one that we were in weren't you or were you just behind the scenes i was actually there was two shows that day there was the afternoon one in the evening yeah chuck at the time with the xo for the garrison so what he did is he sort of split up experienced people and new people between the two shows so i got asked if i could do the 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 afternoon show and i said sure i did it and then when i noticed that it was just chuck trying to wrangle the evening i'm like do you want a hand he's like oh god yes please so I stuck around to help out the evening show just with the, uh, you know, trying to herd the cats as, it's, as it goes. Well, you did a great job, both you and Chuck. Shout out to Chuck if he's listening. Yeah, that was it. So that I have a question. I have a question already. Okay. How do you get to be one of those cats? You own white armor. That's it. That's You have to own white armor. It has to be Stormtrooper. Al has a preference for white armor. He likes the stormtroopers for that because it's a bunch of stormtroopers and Vader. What happens is when he's going to a new town, rather than bringing in his own dancers for a single number, he contacts the Legion in the area and says, there's a concert coming. This is the date. Uh, we would like to try to get some of your members out and preferences for stormtroopers. It's usually not a, not hard to do, but when you're dealing with places like, I've actually gone out to Regina because they couldn't get enough people available there. Really? Yeah. So we actually drove out to Regina on August 14th. So we went out, we danced on stage, crashed in Regina, and then came back the next day. And then the next week I was on stage with Weird Al in Calgary. You know, Ryan, you might have finally found the way to get me involved with your white armor fetish. Yeah, it's a, it's a good time. <laughs> you get you get all kinds of weird gigs. There's been that one, and I don't know, there's lots of other ones that you do. Like, you probably have the... I don't know that we've been on too many other troops, you and I, James. Just I think it's really just that one. Well, there and, haven't exactly been too many troops over the last couple of years. No, me neither. I went to the one in Fort Saskatchewan, and I almost passed out. But that was the last one I went to. And I, I've kind of done a couple local things in, in my town here. Nothing really... Nothing really bigger with too many people. You can't do that stuff. So, but before that, I don't know if you were, I, we might've met, we might've crossed paths at the Calgary Expo. Yeah. I'm a regular feature at the Expo. I'm one, I help out a lot behind, like I, I'll do a couple of shifts, but I'm usually helping out and running around doing stuff. So. Yeah. I was at the 2019 one, but everything happened so fast there. And I met so many people that I, I can't remember if you were one of the folks that I met or not. Uh, I was there. We probably did meet, but it's the same thing. It's just You'll get kind of used to it once you get to know the regulars. It becomes just a new person. Yeah. And as they show up a couple of times, you sort of recognize them again. I was at that one too. Thanks, Ryan. You were at that one. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. No. What, what do you mean? Well, you're the one that had the ticket, the spare ticket. Did I? Yeah. Oh, and yeah, you were like, yeah, hey, yeah. I got the spare ticket. What are you doing? That was a good time. That was a good time. We got to do another one of those. Yeah. And then the world ended and that was that. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Putting it back together. One podcast at a time here. But no, anyway, James, we well, we know each other, obviously our time with the 501st on some of those long calls, I kind of caught wind that you, you maybe have, uh, well, hold on before I say that, I'll say the last troop I was at with you was uh, at Edmonton Expo and I noticed that you were also doing double duty with the Ghostbusters there. Because I'm so, not busy enough at the expo with one club. I decided to completely shatter my weekend by joining two of them. That's right. That's right. 
So knowing that you're a big Ghostbusters fan, you kind of popped into my movie. Jeez, my brain, I just drove for like three hours. You kind of just popped into my head when this movie came out because I thought that, you know, the biggest Ghostbusters fan I know would probably have to be James. So we gave you a shout and asked you to come on this podcast. You agreed, which was nice of you. Thank you. And we also found out that you may have had some involvement with the Ghostbusters movie, Ghostbusters Afterlife, that just came out. And we were wondering if maybe you could just give us a shout, a shout out to your Ghostbusters club, if you were comfortable with that, and talk sure, a bit I'm about actually your a involvement. member of the with Alberta Ghostbusters. Uh, we're a charity, or a charity group in all of Alberta. We tend to favor either the Solar E Children's Hospital up in Edmonton or the Alberta in Calgary. Depending where the event is, we try to keep it local to those hospitals. That's what we, we raise money for that. So you guys, I guess you'd be similar to the 501st. You guys build your own props, your own costumes, all that stuff. What do you guys have on hand? How many members do you have? We're over 50 the last I checked. Oh, wow. In, in all of Alberta. It's growing quickly. We're actually one of the largest Ghostbuster clubs out there. Yeah, it's kind of, it's not like the 501st where, you know, there's the overall legion and then you get to the garrisons. There's just a bunch of little clubs throughout everywhere. There's not a, not a, not a big overarching, I guess, leadership structure yet. No, it, it's sort of semi, I don't want to say monitored, but Sony's sort of aware of what we're doing the same way the House of Mouse is with 501st. They don't tell us or tell the groups what to do, but they are aware of what the groups are doing and maybe hint that perhaps you guys want to tone it down or knock that off, but they don't actually say stop it or else. No uh, cease and desist. Well, those <laughs> happen, but usually you have to do something incredibly nuts for that. <laughs> it's like it's like the Legion. There's a bit of a gray market area where as long as you're not going professional with what you're doing, well, kind of look the other way. Yeah. So you guys build your own props. Do you have an Ecto-1? In Alberta, no. We've got actually one of our members just finished what we're calling the Ecto-3. Well, he, he runs a... Uh, motorcycle tour business and he decided what he was going to do was trick out one of his white bikes with the pack and the lights and the sirens it was actually on display at chinook mall over the opening weekend oh cool Warren's a little nuts that way he kind of makes me look relaxed with the prop making <laughs> the conversation was like i think i'm gonna trick out my bike okay i'm done what do you guys think what so you were able to go with the club to the premiere of the movie yes actually to be specific i I saw it twice before it opened. Oh, wow. <laughs> One of our members made arrangements with Sony because the movie was filmed in and around Calgary, uh, Dustin. He's uh, an amazing guy, but what he did is he worked with Sony and he actually arranged on the Monday of the opening week for a cast and crew screening. And <laughs> then there was this private screening that he arranged for club members and friends and family. If they wanted to buy it, 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 we had to actually rent out a theater. It wasn't like, you know, Sony wasn't footing the bill, but we did rent out a private screening of Ghostbusters the day before it opened. And actually, to be honest, I was out in um, Fort Mac on the Saturday before it opened for the pre-screening that they were holding out there, just volunteering with the club. It was crazy busy. <laughs> well, I imagine it's a it's a fun movie. So it, it's kind of cool that you got a, a chance to, to do all that stuff. Tim, you want to? So it was filmed down by Calgary. I wasn't aware of that. That that means Dirt Farm was down there somewhere. Uh, south of Farm Calgary, actually south of in South Calgary. There's a the horse place. I'm just blanking on the name right now. So am I. <laughs> it's contagious, isn't it? <laughs> Spruce Meadows. Yeah, it's, that's it. Was it. Actually down by Spruce Meadows. Kind of funny because a friend of a friend lives down there. You know, went away for a few days you know, over the summer and then came back and he's like, I don't remember a dilapidated farmhouse being on that hill. What the hell? And my friend's like, uh, yeah, I know what that is. And I can't tell you. <laughs> so now did they disassemble the set uh, after they were done? Yeah, it was basically just a, you know, I'm pretty sure a strong wind could have taken it out. I never actually went to that set, but it was well, just built, it was built to look good for a couple of days while they filmed and then they took it apart. That's pretty cool that it was, that it was in Alberta. Oh, everything on it was filmed in Alberta. I'm surprised, Tim, you didn't notice Horseshoe Canyon right around Drumheller, very famous spot. I thought it looked familiar, but there there is quite a few places on Earth probably that look similar to that, right? I never really thought about it. <laughs> it, it, it is the gorgeous drive into Drumheller. You see that. It, the running joke from everybody who saw it on the Monday was, wow, that is the greatest Alberta tourism video I think I've ever seen. I have to go back and watch the movie now. Yeah, there's a, there's a few little 
hallmarks to the old, uh, I, I don't know, I, I spent some time living around not far from there, kind of close by, but that's a favorite spot for me to drive through for sure. Last time I drove down there was uh, actually on the way to, to the Calgary Expo. I drove down that way and took a little detour. It's always one of the nice places to stop and see. They had that a little bit dressed up. One of the things I thought when they were filming up, there's a, there's a scene where they have like kind of a twisty tornado-y cloud. And I thought, you know, I know that they added that in post-production special effects, but I have seen clouds that look just like that on that landscape. And it wouldn't have been out of the ordinary for them to just catch that all in camera <laughs> on any given day in the summertime. So you had some days to visit the set? Let's start out with this one. I actually worked for the movie. I was sort of a subcontractor brought in for a couple of small items, but yeah, I've actually been on, I've, I've been on the actual film stages where it was filmed and the club, we did a event. We actually popped out to drum Heller one evening to watch. We, grabbed, we dragged the families along to see how things were going. We actually met Eric uh, Reich. He's the head of Ghost Corp. And he's one of the executive producers on the movie. And we got to meet Jason Reitman. Eric brought him out to meet with us. So we watched, well, we just sort of watched the car driving back and forth down the street as they were filming a scene. But <laughs> it was cold. It was miserable, but it was fun. Well, that's pretty, I don't know. That's a pretty good experience. So you actually built a couple things for the movie too. Well, I'll let you tell the story as much as you're comfortable giving away, I guess. Okay. I'm going to give a shout out on this one because actually a member of the Legion, Peter White, this is probably one of the most talented prop men I've, or prop makers I've ever met. And he's young, but he was actually working on the movie properly. Like he was hired by the movie. He was working in the prop shop. And what happened was they don't bring on a whole lot of people for props. Props are, you know, they, they were actually being ma made in LA and shipped up to Calgary, but sometimes they ended up in a bit of a crunch time. Now in 2019, I had actually just finished my own proton pack and Peter and I were talking about it. And he thought it was really cool. And I'm not joking the week of, he's like, Hey, I've got a paid gig. Are you free this weekend? I'm like, well, you know what? Sure. I got a young kid who always wants the most expensive toys out there. And it, Never hurts to, you know, he's like, sure, great. You need to be there at seven in the morning on Saturday. And I'm like, oh God, why? He's like, well, we're going to be testing something out. You should probably be there to see it. And I'm like, oh, it's like, you want to come see it. Oh, okay. So 7 a.m. on a Saturday, I go out to this warehouse center in the middle of nowhere in uh, Southeast Calgary. And there's a, a sign saying Rust City Productions. Of course, being a member of the club, we kind of knew what Rust City was. That was actually the work, the production name for the movie. So I go in, you know, Peter brings me in. I have to sign a, a whole stack of papers saying, you know, I won't talk about it at all. I can't talk about anything. And it's like, all right, now we're going to go over to the film studio. If you've never actually seen it, Calgary has a film center. It is state of the art. Well, it's state of the art next to the, some of the stuff Disney's doing, which is, which is beyond cutting edge, but it is amazing. We go out there and I get hauled into this garage area. And all of a sudden I see this white beast of a car. I will fully admit, I just about fangirled with the waving hands and the clapping. It was amazing seeing the Ecto-1 in person. And, you know, Peter talking to me and he's like, okay, there's just one rule to follow. When the grown-ups are talking, we need to stay quiet. I'm like, I don't think I would have anything to say to anybody, but of course. The first power test, they actually do the power test. And you guys have seen the gunner chair, but I got to see that on its first day, first test, right in front of uh, Reitman himself. JR was there. I can still remember because it was like, they're like, okay, ready? You see this, you hear this kathunk as the door flips open. Then a second kathunk, kathunk as the chair comes out and spins around. And there's actually even some pictures on uh, one of the car sites. The, my friend was like, is this you? And I'm like, oh my God, that was a car test. That's great memories. But so, yeah, what I was first brought on for was the story is originally that seat was supposed to just have a proton pack strapped to it like it was a person. But when they built it, they kind of ran out of space. Well, it's supposed to be able to fit a proton pack with about a couple inches of clearance. We'll say maybe nine inches a foot. I had four inches of clearance. <laughs> so they had no idea how to fix this. And that, that thing was going to be filmed on Monday for the scenes. Okay. Yeah. Because like I said, I just finished my proton pack. So Peter knew I was familiar with uh, the universe and the tech. And he knows, like, truth is, anybody can finish a prop. You give them enough time and enough money, anything can be finished. We had three days. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we actually managed to steal one of the chairs away from the uh, set, took it back to the prop shop, and we actually made a first generation, including like we scavenged another proton pack, scavenged parts from it, 
as in we took a knife and a hacksaw to it. If you ever see my jacket with uh, Rest City Productions, there's a logo of a ghost cutting a proton back with a saw. It's incredibly accurate. So we took one apart. We laser cut a bunch of uh, ABS plastic to make it look like it was a uh, proper mesh. And over the span of about, actually, sorry, that was a Friday, not a Saturday. I was completely lying. So Friday, I saw it working. Saturday, we was a build day. And then on Sunday, we managed to get it finished and ready to go back by the end of the day. And anybody's ever built anything is sort of going, oh my, that, that, that's a little bit of a tight deadline you had there. Everybody else is going, so what's the problem? You got some foam. Oh, I can, I can even from building other things in the real world, I can see time just goes on you. You, well, you can I mean, waste hours and yeah. Yeah. We had a foam <laughs> mock-up and we were trying to figure out how to make it work. We were rearranging parts and we were just trying to figure out how to make it work and fit because there was a, like, there's a couple of things like clearance issues with it coming out the door. So we had to work with the guys, the, the guys on set who had it to figure out that, you know, how this thing is going to move, because if it moves a certain way, you have three inches of clearance. If it moves a slightly different way, you have some play. And apparently at once in uh, one of the scenes, so the way it originally came out was the, the, the chair sort of turned while it was coming out and that they gave us a little bit of extra clearance. One of the behind the scenes stories is they decided that they wanted Phoebe shooting backwards. Do you remember that scene when she was trying to shoot Muncher that was chasing them? Yep. No, sorry, the uh, not Muncher, the dog, uh, the terror dog. Mm-hmm. So she goes out. Well, the chair doesn't cha- doesn't turn anymore, and something that was designed to have clearance as it turned ripped right off the pack. I was kind of wondering when I was watching the movie, what was the setting to make it not turned at the front? Uh, totally reprogramming it, I guess. But you know what I mean? Like, how did she make it not turn to the front? Because the first few times it just automatically did it. Well, what was happening, uh, the, the, because I was behind the scenes and I knew how the mechanism was supposed to air quotes work, that little grip that uh, podcast stepped on, if you uh, believe it was push it down all the way and you hold it, chair goes out and rotates as it going. If you don't push it down as far, it just goes out. Okay. Of course, I've only seen the movie once so far, so I'm sure I'll watch it again and especially now that I'm hearing all about this, because that, that was one of the all-time favorite props I've actually ever seen in a show. It just, it felt real, if you know what I mean. Oh, that yeah. chair felt real. A lot of times you're watching things, it just floats right by you because it's half CGI and these days it, anyway. Well, I'll give a bit of a story. First day on set, not supposed to talk to the grown-ups. Please remember these two parts. So Jason Reitman, he does a wonderful thing when he's in his interview mode where he's He's talking to the press and he's all cool and calm and collected, but he's actually talking to somebody and he's really excited about this movie. He's just about, you know, I I wouldn't have been surprised if he's not uh, (laughs) clapping his hands in the background, but this is so exciting, but he's there. There's a lot of concerns about this thing. They wanted accuracy. They were going practical effect, practical props as much as possible with enhancements. And I guess they had some, I'm going to, I'm inferring that they probably had some people from the uh, Acto one builders groups who knew the Ecto-1, who had seen what was happening with this, and they have probably more NDAs than I do, but he was actually concerned about the front lights on the Ecto, those two little upside-down glasses that sit on there, because they couldn't get the right color one. They only had one clear in the front, front one, in the, mm. one in the back. And I'm sitting here listening, and about five minutes beforehand, one of the, the uh, actual mechanics had come up to Peter and myself and had asked, hey, can you guys take this back to the shop and can you cast it and maybe, maybe make it out of resin or see if that's possible? And Peter was like, yeah, that's not a problem. We can have that back to this afternoon. So, of course, I'm standing there and like Peter's nowhere around and nobody else is. And they're fixating on something. And I'm like, and I just sort of looked. I'm like, I'm sorry to interrupt. And Reitman gave me that look of, mm-hmm, I'm either going to be unemployed in five minutes or I'm going to be his favorite person. That look. I said, sorry to interrupt. Just overheard what you guys were talking about. They, the gentleman over there spoke to us about it. We're going to be taking this back. To the, we're going to be taking it back to the uh, prop shop. And we're going to cast you a couple in clear resin and they'll be ready this afternoon for, for a check-in if they're going to work for you. If you need them sooner, we can see if we can rush it. But uh, this afternoon is probably the better. And Bretman was like, oh, no. He got that look on his face of like, okay, there's one thing on my checklist I don't need to worry about today. He's like, nope, thank you very much. And they walked off talking about something else. My one and only story about talking to a you know, big-time Hollywood director. <laughs> but they were concerned about the accuracy of everything and all the, all the cool bits. And they wanted this to really feel like the move. Like the 84 had happened again with a bigger budget and better effects. I think it really translated well to the screen because 
you got a lot of close-up shots of some of the props and they they really took their time to show you that they they put all these details into things and even when you mentioned like the close-ups of the car i got the picture in my head of it coming out of the garage the license plate the lights on the front uh you know it was a little dirtier than i remembered and a little more beat up but but man it was that car so it's nice to hear that they brought some some fan groups on board and the level of detail I think that you're able to describe in there and the level of detail that I think other people would have is definitely probably an added bonus for any community that's continuing on uh, some sort of legacy property for a movie. So I don't know, it's, it sounds like a great, it sounds like you had a really bad time is what it sounds like to me. Oh, that was only the first of several days or the first <laughs> weekend. I actually did two. Once again, uh, well, I'll finish something else off. This is the least of the props I made. Was the other thing that was was the Ecto, the RTV, the box that uh, podcast pulls it out of. Those were actually installed. That was one, we were crawling around the Ecto and trying to fit them in. They had three on set. They had the Hero, they had the uh, second unit, and they actually had one that had been cut into thirds so that they could film scenes inside of it. And we had to make three identical boxes and make them fit in three very different cars. I think every 11-year-old out there from the 80s is going, you got to climb around the Ecto, oh my God, which was pretty much what I said to myself repeatedly. It'd be, it'd be kind of surreal. It was. I mean, to this day, there's just some things you, you have a bucket list. Maybe a date with Angelina Jolie. Hey, you know what? I want to go up to the moon. The idea of actually working on Ghostbusters, that's not something you even think is possible. Well, I think that's kind of like a... Um something that I kind of wanted to touch on here is like a feeling that I got watching this movie. And I th the thing that I thought they did really well was it kind of brought me back to the time when I was a kid and I'd first seen Ghostbusters. And it was a lot like the show Stranger Things, which I want to touch on uh, at the very end, because I have some things to say about that show. But it was a lot like that. And, you know, the kids were running around People my age all had their homemade Ghostbusters coveralls on. We were all putting together proton packs on our own out of cardboard boxes and vacuum cleaner hoses and whatever you could find. And, and for me, I went out the one Halloween, I think I was grade four or grade five as, as my favorite go Ghostbuster, collected a big bag of candy and all my friends pieced out. And I wound up coming back with a whole pillowcase full that night. It was my favorite Halloween ever. So I was just going to mention you guys, like, uh, do you got some fun memories of when you were a kid watching the Ghostbusters movie, how'd you get into it? How much do you do you feel like just blabbing about? Go nuts. James, you're the guest first. of honor, so we'll we'll give it to you first. Okay. 84, I was 11 years old, grade six. And yeah, like you said, jumpsuit, backpack with the, with the uh, vacuum hose. Wow. I mean, I was, Ghostbusters was a phenomenon back then. It was lightning in a bottle. I don't think anything outside of maybe Star Wars has had an impact like that in the world. Yeah, I can remember doing that costume. I can remember being massively into Ghostbusters. To be honest, I don't even remember a time when, I don't even remember much before that because it just was so <laughs> big. So, so that was 1984. I, uh, I remember the Ghostbusters song that was on the album Rock 85. And that was the first cassette tape I owned. I am so old, I have it on vinyl. I probably still have a record <laughs> at my parents' place. I don't know. I was busy. I was busy in junior high and stuff like that. So we did, we didn't have any means of watching it, except I didn't go to the theater. I ended up renting the VHS and a VHS recorder from the store and taking it home to watch it. So that was, uh, I know that's really dating myself, I guess, but I remember scrounging up money, trying to do this, trying to pull it off one weekend with me and my brother. The song's a big one. Hey, like, I remember desperately trying to find that song and I didn't have uh, I lived in a small town far away from any sort of place where I could buy tapes. And the ones that whenever I did get a chance to go to a, a store that had tapes, I could never find it. I could never find the Ghostbusters song and all I'd, I'd sit there and I'd wait. It was so popular. I'd wait and wait and wait. And I eventually was able to record it off of a radio station and that thing got played out. It got played out. I think I wore the tape right out. I was uh, geeking out for that song so much. I can't even think of a song, a theme song for a show or, or that. Yeah. What, what would you call it? Like the, 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 the pop song. They used to have the pop songs for the soundtracks. It's not really a big thing anymore, but it used to be. And Ghostbusters, I think, lit it off. And I don't know if uh, Bat Dance killed it. No. Spies Like Us was pretty big. Too bad the movie kind of sucked. The other Dan Aykroyd. That's a Dan Aykroyd yeah. movie too, isn't it? It John is. John Candy. I remember uh, that. Was it John? No, 
It was Chevy Chase. Oh, Chevy Chase and, and John Candy. Dan Aykroyd. Was Dan, it Dan, I, Aykroyd? Dan Aykroyd? Yeah. Did I no just, John Candy. Did I just Mandela <laughs> affect myself here? But the oh. song was good. The movie was kind of... Uh, I just remember them driving the truck full of rocket fuel at one point. And they're in that semi truck with the guy, and he's like, "I got rocket fuel." Uh, you're actually mixing it up. Sorry, I'm a giant '80s. I've got a movie collection like you wouldn't imagine. That's Eugene Levy and John Candy when they were security guards. That's the one I'm thinking right. of. Yeah, well, it's not that one. <laughs> Armed and dangerous. That's what that yes, one is. That's it. Ah, well, this okay. one. This one takes place, I believe, in Russia mostly. Spies like us, and there is a rocket. On a truck, but I'm just writing a note here. Watch spies like us, <laughs> but don't be disappointed when it's not that great. It's fun. 80s cheese. It's, it's okay. It's just, it's not. Style. Yeah. It's not, uh, it's no, it's not Ghostbusters quality, but it's good. Ghostbusters isn't Ghostbusters quality. <laughs> <laughs> so favorite Ghostbuster, Tim, shoot. Do you got one? Not really. You can never go wrong with liking the whole bunch of them, right? No. I didn't really pick favorites. You didn't? Well, you're a better person. If I would have, Egon, probably just because of his name. He had the cool name factor. That name always just seemed extra strange to me. But Bill Murray, of course, was in other things, which I liked before that. So, yeah. James? Uh, If you'd asked 11-year-old me, he would have said Bankman. You ask significantly older me. I would actually agree with Egon. The guy was a genius and just what he meant, what between he and Ray, they managed to pull out of ordinary household items or totally reinvent were amazing for that, for the universe. That's uh, okay. Ryan, what about you? Well, I have a, this is where, this is where I'm going to be. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of take a shit on stranger things because I felt slighted by that show, the episode where they all dressed up as ghostbusters and they kind of took a dump on my favorite Ghostbuster, which is Winston. The reason I really liked Winston was because there was all these guys that were doing the science stuff and they were building all this stuff. And I thought they were all really cool and I liked all of them. But the reason I liked Winston the most is he reminded me of all the people that I actually knew. And, and that was like guys like my dad uh, that were all just kind of like your everyman that were just, they might not have this like vast knowledge of the universe, but they had an aptitude for learning and they just wanted to work you know? So he was kind of like my uh, audience surrogate. And he's the guy that I was actually in the story with because he, you just, you just couldn't help but feel sorry for this guy. He's been kind of thrust into this. He just wants a paycheck. And I, I just thought that was a really cool ang- angle for the character. And I know he wasn't the big science guy or whatever, but he was the guy that I liked the most. And I wanted to see, you know, how he worked out. So I, I was a little bit taken aback by stranger things when they kind of just took a moment to, uh, take a shit on my favorite Ghostbuster. I, I was hurt. So uh, hmm. this movie kind of brings it back. And I, I think uh, Winston has like uh, some good stuff to say in that. James, I don't know how you feel about spoilers for movies, but Tim and I mostly have decided that when we, when we talk about movies on here, we get so excited about certain things that we just can't help but spoil them. In my view, as long as this is a podcast, as long as people are aware that they're coming in for a, a potential spoiler, guess what? Buyer beware. Yeah, and and we'll I think we'll probably wind up putting it in the description, but I don't think we spoiled anything story wise so far. But I guess um, now that we've we've kind of gotten to the point where you know we've all seen the movie and stuff, and we can talk about it. Uh, what do you guys think overall, James? I know you, well you're the biggest fan. I'd say you're the biggest fan by a New York mile here. So give us your thoughts. Like, what did you like? Is there anything you didn't like? Who did you think did a good job? What would you like to I, see more of? Okay, I'm going to start out with McKenna Grace. How to tell you're watching an actress who's going to be somebody someday, go see this kid in this movie and then watch her everywhere else and see her like some of her interviews. This girl for her age, like not even for her age, there's, I'm going to apologize, but I'm going to take a bit of a shit on uh, Bill Murray, as you put it. Uh, When I first saw the movie, Bill Murray just seemed so wooden in it. The Mm -hmm. second time I saw it, I realized that no, he's actually doing his proper acting, but the acting chops of everybody that are in the scenes with him are so, so high, such a high standard that he almost seems like he's, you know, not really in it, but no, he was doing a great job for him, but it's, he's not in her league. Like that little girl is going to be amazing someday. I'll put money on that right now. 
Well, to be fair, he's out of practice, right? I've rewatched Ghostbusters recently. He's not that out of practice. <laughs> but he hasn't been here. What I'm saying is he hasn't been steadily working away at lots of projects. So he's This is like, I'm coming out of retirement for a one-off. And oh. he, he was kind of relying on the writing too. They didn't give him any really good zingers there. Actually, and that's what he relies on. Oh, well, in, in Ghostbusters, the, uh, in, in the original, a lot of his good zingers were not written for him. He he pulled those out. He wrote those himself. Okay. Yeah. I'll drop something. There's a documentary, if you ever get a chance to watch it, it's called Cleaning Up the Town, Remembering Ghostbusters. Brother and sister Claire and Anthony Bueno from England made this movie. And it's a really great behind the scenes look. And they cover a whole lot of things on it, including like, you know, a lot of Bill Murray stuff. He just sort of came on set and just let it fly. And they kept recording until they... You know, they like their, their takes. Back and, in the old uh, days of film, that sounds really expensive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's some great also behind the scenes things where when they're in uh, the mayor's office and it's like, there's a whole lot of outtakes on that are just, that are absolutely hilarious. You know, uh, was it, you know, uh, they using military sense nerve gas. Egon's line was, that's a lie. We would have made our own gas if we had to. Just <laughs> things that didn't make the cut, but were still funny. Tim, what was your impression? What'd you, what'd you think? I love the acting of the kids and I would agree that they're all, they're all going somewhere eventually, right? All of them. You, you can just kind of tell. No, as far as the original cast showing up, it just feels like they were just, you know, I don't know. Gratuitous cameo. Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, I, I feel like over time, like you mentioned, basically standards are a little higher or, or our expectations are greater than they used to be. We have things like TV shows, like Stranger Things, which didn't used to exist back in the in the 80s. High quality TV shows, not really. Like the acting in a TV show was just not expected to be that level. And the practice, I, I feel like whenever you get a reunion cast together, it's just like the expectations are really high and they're not they haven't been steadily working at their craft for a while. If if you were to talk about, you know, the Friends reunion, for instance, or the Ghostbusters reunion. It's just, it's not the same, you know? Mm -hmm. That's just kind of how I feel about it. Kind of almost better to just leave them out in a way. Oh, the fans would have rioted though. They would have. So you're basically, we're basically saying it's fan service. Put them in there, the gratuitous fan service appearance. I mean, don't get me wrong, but the, the, this entire movie was one giant gratuitous fan service. It was a love letter to the oh, original yeah. Ghostbusters. You can't do that without the original crew. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's a, uh, one of the things uh, I'd have to agree with the, what you, what you guys said. Like I thought, I thought the kids in particular were, were really good. Sometimes that kind of can get to be a bit of a crapshoot. I know uh, doing a movie that's kind of kid based. And when I first, I won't lie. Like when I first saw the trailers for this, I, I, I was like, Oh man, they're making a kid's movie. And, and it kind of put me off because growth ghostbusters, you know, there's a, uh, the original Ghostbusters, I, I saw it as a kid and some of the stuff went over my head. And then I saw it as an adult and I was like, well, this is way dirtier than I remember it being and way more adult. So I had that in my head when I saw the trailers for it. And then I was like, oh, you know, I don't know if I want to go see a kid's Ghostbusters movie. I'm, I'm glad I did because that it wasn't really, it beat my expectations. I think I went into it with low expectations and it beat and exceeded them. It is fan servicey. Like, you know, you get the feels when he pulls the tarp off the Ecto one. And, you know, when you, when you see Gozer, you see the proton pack, you've got the first ghost sighting, you know, it's got all the hallmarks of that stuff, but you know, it's been, I'm going to say, well, it's 30 some years, I think, since we've had one of these Ghostbusters movies anyway, that's, that's directly linked to the original ones. And one of the things that I'm glad they did is that, you know, I think they, they had to do a little bit of fan service just to kind of like, I think when you have one of these properties, you have to have a little bit of goodwill towards the people who were fans of the original. So you kind of got to bring them in and go, look, we, we got this thing here and, and we're not going to dirty it up. And I think this movie did a really good job of walking that line between showing us something new, which I really appreciated. And you know what? I got to the end of this movie and if the original Ghostbusters hadn't even shown up, I would have been happy with the outcome of it either way but it was cool that they brought those guys in and just had a really nice scene where they showed up they did something ghostbustersy and cool and then just kind of let the new people uh shine shine their way into the sunset or or whatever this i 
I've messed that saying up, right? You know, walk their way off, walk off. The heroes walk off into the sunset. Holy shit. Terrible. What am I thinking? (laughs) (laughs) What was said many times on the, you'll fix it in post. Oh, sorry. What was said on the, what was said in the, uh, on on set was, we'll fix it in props. Yeah. No, I'm leaving that in there. It's uh, we, no warts and all. (laughs) We're going to leave it in in pre. Yeah. yeah, We're leaving it in in pre. (laughs) We're walking with it. (laughs) Fuck it. We'll do it live. No, I, I don't know. I, I kind of think it walked that that balance of the thing of uh, nostalgia versus new stuff. Tim and I talk, uh, we've had a, more than one conversation on our podcast about how much nostalgia factors into new movies. And you know what? I, I think for all intents and purposes, this one did it just as good as I, I think it could be done. It was It was there without being too schmaltzy. And it gave you enough of the feels. It was really cool that they, sometimes I have moral questions about bringing deceased actors to life in such a realistic way. I think they did that too in this one. There was where they, an article uh, very recently, Violet Ramis, uh, Harold's daughter, was very, very happy about how her father's memory was handled and how Reitman did such a great job with it. At least that was the just i got out of the article yeah I, I i found that too like the scenes that he had he wasn't a he wasn't in a speaking role you could tell that they just kind of found like older footage of him or something like that and just kind of spliced it in in a way that that worked without he wasn't he wasn't a star of the movie he was a special effect and and i think that was a really good uh, send off to him too and his character yeah. I, I liked that part uh, i honestly did and it was definitely much more realistic than some of the other things that we've seen lately. And they're loving to do this. Just off the top of my head, I'm going to say Luke Skywalker, Admiral Tarkin, and Edward Princess Furlong Leia. and the Terminator. Yeah, Princess Leia. Uh, you know, those were fun too. And I, I liked all those appearances, but they they didn't hold up as well as this one did. And I think this one will hold up years down the road, whereas we'll look back at those ones going like, what the hell is this? No, it was good. And the final thing I want to say is that in the gatekeeper and keymaster roles i thought that carrie coon and paul rudd did a great job kind of bringing back that old spirit of sigourney weaver and rick moranis very much i have no major complaints about this movie i can get nitpicky if i really want to but i liked it too much to do that well we can we can get a little nitpicky it's okay fine they needed more shots of the temple you guys have no idea how cool it was in there oh really pretty cool just what we did see Oh, well, you didn't see everything. Um, You know those proton uh, cannons that were firing into the pit? Yeah. Yeah. That was weekend number two project. Oh, wow. Yeah, we built those from scratch. Once again, props to Peter. Ha, ha, ha. No, Peter was keeping an eye on how things were coming along, and he pretty much prepared the production and said, I need a crew. And this was actually the September, the the end of August, first, first of September weekend. We put in a week's worth of time in three days. Actually, some people did more than that to get those things ready and on set and good to go. And once again, starting from nothing, we built the packs or the uh, cannons, the wands and everything else and put them out on set by, well, I called it, we, I started Sunday at seven in the morning. I called it, no, I'm sorry. Started Monday at seven in the morning, called it Tuesday at I think three o'clock in the morning because I just couldn't keep my eyes open anymore. But we busted our humps to make those happen. And they were so cool. There was so much going on in there that you didn't see. You know, for for the end of the world type of uh, scenario, that whole scene with those packs blasting into the pit and everything else, that was actually, for whatever reason, totally plausible. If you know what I mean? In that universe, there was like not a, you know, with the guy in the coffin and all the stuff, it just totally worked, which is kind of rare for me in, We've been so over-apocalypsed now that it's hard to see one that you can actually just buy without questioning it, if you know what I mean. Well, that's... And that one just worked. Yeah. But and I mean, yeah, there were some really cool effects. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Shannon. Uh, you saw when the cannons fired into the pit and that pe- the, the, uh, the mechanism just sort of collapsed, like it's done, we're, we're done. Yep. It's actually supposed to be a whole sequence was as the pit started to fill up, that was a PKE meter that had been rigged. So as it reached sort of a peak, when it hit the peak point, it triggered. And then it was you're supposed to see a power-up sequence on all four cannons. Then they would fire across the beams and basically shoot back, shoot it back down the hole, which was mm-hmm. the cause of the earthquakes or the explosions, if you prefer. Yeah, it really, really tied everything together. 
Ooh, that yeah. scene did tie everything together. Even if we didn't get to see the entire thing, maybe the director's cut. <laughs> I'm hoping there's going to be one. Uh, that's actually something that uh, one of our members is bugging Eric about was we put in like a, a stupid amount of hours and, you know, we got what, 30 seconds of screen time total for those cannons. Yeah. But it, you know, it, uh, it pays off. You, you did a great job. I remember seeing those on, on the screen and I was like, holy shit, those are really cool. I know they, I know they didn't get a whole lot, but I certainly remembered them, James. So I'm going to give you an attaboy. That was a, they won me over. I'll give you one other thing I made and I actually completely forgot I did these. So you know that little sweet moment when Phoebe's spending some time with grandpa down in his lab? Yeah. And he's you know, convinced her to open up the pack. A uh, little story on this. Peter, one day where we had a little bit of downtime because we were waiting on something to be done by one, we were waiting for paint to dry on some things, other things to be disassembled. So Peter came to me and he's like, can you replicate this? And there's this tiny little silver greebly in a glass. I'm like, yeah, this sure this shouldn't be too hard. So those little things that Phoebe gets out of the drawer and puts in there, those were the only two hero heroes of those on the set. The rest of those in that disassembled pack, uh, I can't remember what they're called, optical transistors or something like that. And the fans are going to completely rip me a new one for forgetting what they were called. The rest of them were actually me, my model, having been printed, painted, and assembled in that pack for that scene. But I didn't know it. Oh, cool. So, so literally, first time I've seen that in the movie theater, I'm like, like I made that, I made that. I'm like, oh my god, I made those. I forgot. Full on hand waving. <laughs> So did you go to the theater in uh, full regalia? Yeah, actually. Uh, well, not for the pre-screen or not for the cast and crew screening and not for the sold out or not for the uh, bought out theater. But we went, the Alberta Ghostbusters, we were actually set up at the West Edmonton Mall, Silver City, I think it's called still. And we were set up at Chinook Center in Calgary with all of our bells and whistles out as much as we could bring. Full packs, full gear, full everything. I even brought out the little RTV. Which managed to tear himself apart on his first little on his first little foray out of the uh, change room. He's been fixed. Don't worry. He's okay. He work. He should work now. But uh, yeah, we were up all weekend. We were there. We were there uh, Thursday all day until close. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We even had our twenty five foot stape of marshmallow man hanging out with us. Most of us never hear about any of this kind of stuff happening. We need to set up a new a news network like the Cool News Network, where important shit like this gets told these people are going to be at this spot at this time so we can join in on this or at least a report of it having happened because uh you know i didn't know any of this stuff happened alberta ghostbusters but if you weren't facebook uh you know avoiding you just you might have seen the sheriff well i think ryan no, saw because i shared it on my not <laughs> i'm mostly I mostly following authors and writers so i don't I did see it. I totally had deactivated everything for a period of about four years and totally detoxed myself. And I got back on it because I wanted just to keep in touch with everyone for the purpose of doing uh, Star Wars 501st troops and all that stuff. So I found that the real key for me is that I unfollow anyone who remotely mentions something political, even if I agree with it. And that's kept me sane. And then I see all this cool stuff. We can, no, we, we can still have- need the cool news network. I think the cool news network, we could st- substack it. I got to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. The cool news sound network. Effects of, cool sound effects of me writing. Can you get that? <laughs> Am I writing loud enough? I can't hear your writing. Okay, too bad. You know, we were talking about fan service. And to be fair, I'm a Marvel fan. And I prefer fan service stuff over anything. I want, I want to know... That tiny detail from 1978 that I read in a comic when I was a kid, you know, I want to see that mentioned somehow, even if it's not a a major plot point, I want them to nod towards it and go, this is the costume that this person was wearing or whatever. You guys even if it's just a Halloween costume. How many little Easter eggs were in this movie? There were so many you couldn't even see them. Well, I noticed the one spot when they whipped around the corner with the car behind it, there was a picture of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. And I caught it out of the corner of my eye, basically. And I was like, I wish I could rewind that because I think that's what I saw. There's moments like that, that I, I did catch a few of them. But the thing is, now I have to go back and watch it again in order to actually see, you know, Let's now that I know what the story is. This would be even more fun. Like the movie theater, when it got shot out, was playing Cannibal Girls, one of uh, Ivan Reitman's movies from the 70s. 
Uh, I thought those might have had a significance to him. I was I, I saw those and I always notice what uh, what movies are on the marquee yeah. when they when they put movies within movies. And I, I meant to look those up, but I forgot what they were. And I knew that they had to have had some sort of significance. That's interesting. Yeah, Nicole, even Nicole said, what is Cannibal Girls? What is that? And I was like, I don't know right now. And then I forgot about it, of course. You're welcome. Well, there's, I'm writing this down on my watch list here. There's also like one of the cool things about with the Ghostbusters is we managed to arrange a very, very limited behind the scenes tour for the club. The truth is it was actually kind of la- kind of after the last day, but we got brought up and we got a chance to actually meet with Jason Reitman and blank in his name, but the, uh, the gentleman who did the uh, score, which I can't say enough amazing things about because it just tied in so nicely. And we met him. They actually pulled it. They actually got brought Jason in from filming something in, on the other soundstage into the soundstage with us. Came in and officially met us. It was awesome. And yeah, it kind of went on like just, it was, we, we got a tour. We got to see inside of Raise a Cult. We got to see a three-quarter disassembled front of the temple because they were actually, they were actually cleaning that out of there. And that was about yeah the ecto was in one stage the other one the other stage we couldn't go see because that was where they were filming which was the house oops i wasn't supposed to know that and uh yeah then there was the temple in the big stage it's huge like that was full scale where the kids were walking up to it and that that was actually huge no tiny little props on the uh you know 10 skill building or anything no houses for ants <laughs> none of that and the other cool thing is, is the foam shop did such a great job of it it was so much of that was just painted and a famous line is, you know, a good paint job can hide all the crimes. Most of that was like the set was amazing. So much with painted foam and just looks so realistic. Even I forget through the camera lens, uh, walking on stage, it, for some, I walked on it. I'm like, why the heck does the sandstone feel so soft? Oh, because it's foam. Okay, check. Oh. They have some really interesting stuff in the prop making world. I know someone who does some stuff on movies and there's this paint that you can get and you can paint a structure and then you spray it with this activator and within, I don't know if it's minutes or hours or whatever, whatever you did is just all completely rusted. It can be just applied as a paint and just one coat of paint and another coat of activator. You can make anything look like a rusted out husk. It's really cool stuff. There was something they were using on set because they actually did there's something some some painters and makers can do, and it, my brain does not, my brain can't do this. They can go into something going, all right, I'm going to make this look old and weathered. Now watch me do this. I can't do that. My brain goes, I'm going to paint this perfectly pristine, and now I'm going to weather it myself. That's the way I work. And I guess that's a skill that not everybody has, or not a lot of people have, to be able to make it dirty from the go. That house was fully painted clean, and they used this something similar. And it just caused that orange peel ripple effect throughout the entire house and the paint peel to show the wood underneath. Yeah, exact same sort of thing. Yeah, it's incredible some of the stuff they have. I recently got some chrome paint that when you apply it to whatever, it's so hard to even see going on, but it just looks like pure metal. Like it, it's gorgeous. You want to bring it to the next level? Paint it on a shiny black surface. Peter taught me that on set. That's, that, that's what I did. And that, that's why it was hard to see go on because the, the lights and where I paint are, aren't, aren't the greatest. So I was painting this stuff on going, is it, is it there? And then when I took it into better light, I was like, wow. It, it, you could, it's almost indistinguishable from metal. So it was, uh, I don't know, there's some really neat stuff out there. But yeah, I don't know, the prop making business. It's, so are you, do you have other uh, forays into prop making that you can talk about? Or is there anything that you got on the, on the future, on the horizon? Or, Well, I sort of jokingly said that, you know, I went from being a wingnut in, a wingnut in his garage making stuff to being a professional wingnut. I got brought in very special. A lot of hoops got, a lot of things got, you know, a lot of parts of the universe got moved for me to be able to make it and work on it. I could probably, if I wanted to not get paid for about three months, interning and then start a new career at the bottom, or I can keep doing what I like and enjoying it and not doing 12 hour days, killing myself. Yeah. So yeah, I make stuff just for fun. Well, you've certainly helped me out in the 3D printing world with some uh, sage advice. So you're good at it and it's good to see your product up on screen there. Uh, my RTV is actually almost entirely 3D printed. It's based off an RC car for most of the core parts, but everything else is 3D printed. So that's the uh, replica of the motorized trap that they use in the movie? Yep. So that's what they call the RTD? RTV, Remote Trap Vehicle. Ah, okay, okay. I was wondering if it had a name. 
or if it had I call mine a... Iggy. He's named after his father, Egon. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So if anybody anybody who's watching the movie that's listening that has watched the movie and is listening to this, we're talking about the remote trap that you see a lot in the movie. That's what you built, correct? I got that... lucky, like I said, on set when when we were working in the sh- the shop. I saw this thing and I'm like, I don't know what this is, but I need to make one. It just any maker sort of knows that there's just an inspiration of these. I don't know why, you know, I have an idea that has to come to fruition. And that's me. It's like one of my Star Wars costumes is Thor Trooper from Rogue One. I saw the trailer. I saw something beige run across screen for about three seconds. I'm like, I'm making that. I have to have that costume. And I knew it had to happen. So it just, it's sort of weird. It's sort of weird, but it's amazingly satisfying when it happened. That's how my black powder cannon happened. <laughs> I said, I need a cannon and it's going to shoot golf balls. And then I built one. And it works great. It just, unfortunately, it's not the kind of thing that you can, you know, just bring out it. Well, let's just say you need a large, large amount of personal property. <laughs> I am that father in the neighborhood. I am that guy, you know, everybody knows me because come Halloween, like, wow, you put such great effort into your costumes. I'm like, I kind of forgot what day it was. And I grabbed something from my basement, but I'm not going to tell you that. So listen, I have dreams of building something. I want to build a life-sized gorilla whose head has a camera in it and light up eyes. And when you approach down the driveway, like as in somebody's pulling up your driveway, it turns and looks at the person. Easiest and that's one of the things I intend to build eventually. Easiest thing to do, start out by going to Spirit Halloween. They already have something that does that. Yeah, well, I know. But the thing is, I need to build the gorilla as well. Oh, yeah, you, you need build to it around made out of metal. That's one of those similar things you're talking about. You've thought of something and you want to build it. Of course, my things probably won't end up in movies, but you never know. Never know, right? Yeah. Well, guys, I think we've we've hit everything here. James, it's been a wonderful to have you on. And thanks for sharing your behind the scenes stories and perspective on Ghostbusters, man. I think you've been a great guest. So we'll be happy to have you back. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Yeah, we definitely learned we learned a lot of stuff about the movie. And now that we've talked to you, I need to I need to watch it again. I've been kind of dying to go see it again too. Uh, my wife and daughter went out on the weekend. We saw it on Saturday and then she went out uh, or they both went out on Sunday to watch House of Gucci. And they came, both came back saying we should have went to see Ghostbusters again. I've seen it three times in the theater. I may see it one more time just to kind of go to see it in the, one of the cooler theaters. I don't want to overdose on this movie. I like it too much. That is a thing. Like I've done uh, Dune about five times now, and I'm at, I'm approaching overdose point. I think you've Dune it too much. I've I've Duned it too much. Yeah, yeah. I'm. It's it's over Dune. Well, the new the new Star Wars trilogy, the new three. Each one of them, I probably saw over opening week, ten times each. Oh boy. Well, in the Legion, you get invited out to events. And of yeah. course, if it's the theater, they're going to throw you a ticket if they can. Yeah. And then you watch it, and. I, I don't want to say this, but I kind of understand the, the uh, internet fanboy rage after a while, because the good the good parts of the movie sort of become, eh, I've seen it, I've seen this. And all those little things that kind of annoyed you, but weren't too much the first time you saw it, by the end are really pissing you off. Yeah. Where I stand with the new trilogy. I mean, I love them. I can watch them occasionally now, but I can't just sit back and enjoy them whenever I feel like it. I have to be in the mood. Yeah, I've, uh, I kind of, the first one I really loved, I think I saw it three times in the theater, uh, The Force Awakens, and then, and then The Last Jedi, I needed one watch to go, what did, why was he drinking green boob milk? What happened to Luke Skywalker? And I kind I left that movie with a bad taste in my mouth, but I've, I've since kind of like softened my view on that movie after rewatching it. And I kind of wish they would have leaned into the things that they did in that one for the third movie instead of undoing them all now we just kind of have this big mess so i'm hoping that whatever they do down the road is just kind of something new that we can all i wish they could embrace logic they should embrace logic and then i would love those movies well that's the thing right like i mean we've (laughs) and that's that's the thing it ties into ghostbusters really well because when, when you're talking about ghostbusters i think they had a an unsuccessful reboot and i i haven't seen that movie and i've heard good things about it and i've heard bad things about it and i i don't really have an opinion on it one way or the other i like all the people who are in it but i i've never given it a watch because i i just don't find a whole lot of value in rebooting something that's already awesome why would you reboot ghostbusters why would you reboot robocop and why would you reboot total recall it doesn't make any sense at all you can build on what you have there and do a sequel to it and i think people would be happier with it but it's kind of like the henry ford thing right where he said if i asked people what they wanted 
before I made the automobile, they would have all told me faster horses. Mm. And, and I think that's kind of the thing with Hollywood is that when they handle these properties, I mean, say for example, they made this Ghostbusters movie and, and it took place uh, today, but there was a whole bunch of franchises of the Ghostbusters thing. And it became like this big kind of thing or whatever. And you just had all this, and it was about a satellite group of Ghostbusters and, you know, they never split up and had a falling out. That would have been equally as entertaining as watching this and having a bunch of callbacks to the old movies could have just had, you, we could have just walked right into the Ghostbusters universe as it is, if it was a successful business or if it was a unsuccessful business and a bunch of their schlubby kids were running it and they didn't care about anything, right? They were running it into the ground. There's a whole bunch of ways of coming at it. And I think, uh, I think the, uh, sometimes I think the easy way to come at it is to get a little bit nostalgic. This Ghostbusters movie, it walked that line a little bit, but it didn't, it didn't walk it as, as hard as, uh, as hard as it would have to do to pull the whole thing down, but it was a good, it's a good movie. There we go. Into the weeds. Holy shit. See, I'll, I'll give you this one for the 2006 movie. I've seen it several times, but I'll be honest about this. I'm a rarity on, on the internet about this movie. I actually saw it before I decided I didn't like it that much. I, I haven't watched it. I've caught little bits of it here and there. And uh, I saw Ozzy Osbourne come out at one point and I was like, what the fuck is going on here? I haven't sat down to watch the whole things. Everybody who's involved in that movie, I love them all, but they're always funny. I just, uh, for whatever reason, it's like, for me, it's when I see that they've done a reboot of something and a complete makeover on something, I'm immediately disinterested. But when I see that they've kind of done a sequel to it, there's no reason to reboot Ghostbusters. Like, I mean, the reboot thing, I'm kind of glad that's gone the way of the Dodo, like 3D conversions of movies. I don't see as many of those anymore. So when I go to the theater and it's shot in 2D, it's just a 2D movie and I like that. And the whole remake or the uh, reboot thing, if they could just stop doing that, I'd be so much happier. There's no reason for any of that stuff. And if you can name me, like, here's a little quick challenge. Name me one remake that was better than the original. Ocean's Eleven. Oh, uh, could be, yeah. The original was good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the, you don't have to have a bad movie to make a better move, better version of it. Yeah. I have to put that out there because I actually like the original. Ocean. Battlestar Galactica, the series, the new series. That was much good. better than the original. That was good. But that's a rarity. There are rarities. Just a, an interesting side note here. While you were talking about should probably be Ghostbusters 3 although it's kind of like a reboot. If you type it in, you don't even get any results. If you type in Ghostbusters 3, you end up with the movie Afterlife. They don't even mention what, to me, in my head, feels like it might have been 3, although I didn't watch it because for whatever reason, I was totally uninterested in it. Yeah. I saw the preview three times and that was good enough. Well, I can think of, I have a, my brother-in-law is a massive Halloween fan. I, I know one of the uh, real bees in his bonnet is when you mentioned the, the Rob Zombie halloween movies that are that are reboots of everything where mm. they give them the whole like trailer trash background and it just gets it goes right off the rails man I, I don't know i think there's exceptions to every rule and i think if you're if you're leaning into a property like you know battlestar galactica i remember when that tv show was on when i was very very young it was kind of like a it's not a phenomenon by any stretch of the imagination, it's kind of a kitschy, campy show that everyone liked. And they took that idea and kind of rolled it into something a lot cooler. You know, when you're talking about the I Terminator. This one for, for Battlestar. Battlestar, the original opening episode, like the first, the movie, as they call it, is actually closer to the newer Battlestar Galactica than the series. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. They got a lot of pressure. There's very, Battlestar Galactica is another fandom of mine, but it's, it was a lot darker and a lot dirtier. Ships were radiation poisoning was happening. People were start potential of starving. And then it sort of became, you know, the happy space cruise on the way to earth. So that was the original pilot, like the original, like, yeah, the original pilot, they were pulling people out. People were burned, wounded, radiation burns and uh, things like that. Yeah, that's true. We love it. Well, we could go down another rabbit hole, but maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> no, we'll, I think we'll, we'll, we'll call it an end, guys. So, Tim, would you say it's been a slice? It's been a slice, maybe a spice. Maybe. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. I'm never going to live that down. How about you, James? <laughs> this has been fun. I love geeking out with people, especially about <laughs> fandoms that I love. Well, we're glad, we're glad to have you, man. We'll, uh, we'll have to have you back another time. 
I'll tell you what the next convention, I'll let you try on my proton pack, then I'll tell you where you can go buy a jumpsuit because that's the introductory drug. Oh, yeah. Well, I've you already been thinking about... Uh... Power up with the movie where they use the line, I love that sound. That is exactly what every kid who saw the first movie in the theater goes. I need that. Then you, you wear it and you feel the power up. It's like, yeah, but I love that sound. astral projections, mental telepathy, ESP, clairvoyance, spirit photography, telekinetic movement, full trance mediums, the Loch Ness Monster, and the theory of Atlantis. Uh, if there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll believe anything you say. <laughs>